we do feel that Digital to Learn, the podcast, it started out, and you've heard us talk about this before if you're listening, but especially if you've listened from the beginning, it was um, an idea that was had before I even moved over to the teaching and learning space. But when I arrived, I think it was day two, Brad, Mike said, do you want to co-host this thing? And I'm like, I don't, I hadn't heard a podcast, <laughs> but sure. Oh, and I remember being in the best way, criticized for being a little too stiff at the beginning, but we've come a long way. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder. And I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Brad. Hey, Tiffany. How are you? I'm doing really well. And I am looking forward to doing something a little different today. Brad and I, we don't have an opportunity very often to just chat about the very topics that we bring up to our listeners. And so today we're going to do something different, something fun, lighthearted, and uh, ask each other a few questions about what we're up to and our predictions for the future of higher ed. Does that sound good, Brad? That sounds great. All right. Well, I'm going to start with you. Take an easy route here and being a primary host and asking questions first, and then I can copy your answers. So, Brad, can you tell me a little bit about what you're working on? A couple of things. I have moved to a new location. We moved to Michigan, and I don't have access to all of the resources I typically would have had on our Marion campus in terms of creating technology and videos and so forth. So I've been experimenting with a little home studio that I created using lots of duct tape and cardboard boxes and <laughs> a green screen that I bought. And it's been a lot of fun to get to learn how to do that. Okay, a couple of questions. How pricey is it to set up your own little home studio for video? Well, let's see. The green screen was about 70 bucks. Yeah. I bought a little tripod that also has a lavalier mic with it. I use my iPhone, so I would say under a nice. hundred dollars. And plus, I have editing software, but just the actual creation, yeah, a hundred bucks. That's amazing. And I use my iPad as a teleprompter. There's a little app you can get for that. <laughs> so I put that right behind the camera, so it actually looks like I'm looking into the camera and speaking when I'm actually reading. So it's been a blast. Yeah. So props to Mike Jones for all of his teaching me to do these things over the years. <laughs> That's right. You do faculty development and you teach courses. Are you creating videos for your students or are these videos for faculty, for conferences? What are your plans? This is actually a separate project. IW is partnering with an organization called Unite Indy in Indianapolis mm -hmm. and another one called Jobs for Life that for many years has done job training for people that need employment. And we are creating a new version of all of that for presentation in prisons and jails around Indiana and hopefully beyond. So those videos are part of that project. Awesome. How about you? What are you up to? Well, I was going to say sprints, but I realized that that sounds a certain kind of way. And I, my physical activity has been lacking lately. Sprints in terms of like design thinking. 
sprints. So at Indiana Wesleyan University, uh, we are looking at retention and we're looking at enrollment and we're saying, can we actually move the needle in the next three to six months? So there are more robust projects that I'm working on, like reimagining the faculty role. Uh, what does it look like to be a faculty member now versus you know, historically at IWU? But this is not one of those. This is, are there experimental, innovative things that we can do right now to move the needle and improve our enrollment numbers instantly? And trying to answer that question. So it's unique, I think. We're devoting um, a good portion of our work week to these sprint initiatives, and I'm on the retention team, and it's been a lot of fun. Most of the time, those strategic plans are placed on a shelf until the next time we do the strategic <laughs> plan. Do you think that'll be different? I do think there is quite a sense of urgency. And you know, when I attended the first few sprint meetings, I thought it's kind of like you, you get that feeling when you go to a professional development conference. It's like, everybody's really energetic. Oh, we all love each other. This was fun. It was better than expected. I've got ideas. And then you walk away and you go back to your job. I have that kind of feeling for the first few sprint meetings, but I will say that the administration has done a great job of making us feel that sense of urgency in an ongoing way. So there's not a day that goes by since we started having sprint conversations a month ago. They haven't reminded us that they need to see something big coming from our areas. So it's really encouraging, different. That's wonderful. Yeah. I'm guessing a lot of institutions are trying to reimagine themselves at this point. Yeah. And it's like that balance between trying to reimagine, thinking about it, perhaps listening into a podcast like this versus going out and making some big change and hoping for the best. So what's inspiring you these days in the midst of all these obstacles? Yeah, sometimes if I can be honest, it feels a little heavy. We've heard this from colleagues and friends, but when you enter in the higher ed space right now, it just, there is, like I said, the urgency to change, but what does that change look like? There's unknowns, there's a heaviness from the pandemic and from cuts, but one area that consistently brings me up and inspires me is LinkedIn. Uh, my former position is in career development on a residential campus, and LinkedIn was a big part of that job. When I moved over to the teaching and learning space, I spent way less time on LinkedIn. But here recently, to promote our podcast guests and to connect with future guests, and just for honestly positivity, I've been spending a lot of time there learning about what's going on in the ed tech space, VR. And just feeling like there is momentum and there is energy and then trying to take that energy back to my home institution. So that is, it's a place of joy. Not all social media platforms feel that way, but for me on LinkedIn, it's nice to be celebrating ideas and people. Good. That's great. Yeah. That's, How about you? I would have to say my students are my inspiration yeah. these days. I'm becoming more and more convinced that... The future of online learning absolutely must include synchronous interactions. Yep. I'll give you two quick examples. One, not so pleasant, but I had a student in one of my classes who, during the first week of class, informed me that she had had a miscarriage oh. and surgery. And we were able to talk back and forth in a variety of ways. And that really created a connection between us. Mm -hmm. that I think promoted her kind of catching up after that ordeal was over. The second one was rather devious. I meet with one of my <laughs> classes on Tuesday nights for a live discussion. And the trade-off is you come to the discussion, you don't have to do the written discussion form for that particular topic. So I'm getting about 75% of the people showing up 
religiously. I guess I can say <laughs> that since we're Indiana Wesleyan. <laughs> but this last Tuesday, I tried a little experiment, and this is kind of partially true. I told them I wasn't feeling well, <laughs> and I wouldn't be able to make it on Tuesday night. But I said, don't, don't despair. I'm going to set up Zoom. I'll open it. You log in. I'll record it. You have your own discussion around the topic of the week. And then I have a recording that they went 52 minutes and the content was brilliant. So I'm wondering at what level, and again, this may be different for graduate students, which I'm teaching now, than for other groups yeah. of students. There's a different level of motivation, I think, among graduate students, more focused. But they were extraordinary. They're great students anyway. But this just kind of further magnified that. And I think what I could do in the future was to do that same strategy, but then create a little kind of summary video saying, here's what I heard you saying. Here's some things maybe you didn't think about and post that as a response. So I'm encouraged by my students. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that example. I almost wondered too, if I'm thinking correctly, you're what midway through this course. So there was probably some modeling that you did for kind of what a discussion looks like in a Zoom session and they got to know each other, right? And then you stepped away. They were able to do this in spite of me. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really great. You know, earlier I was talking about the student retention sprint efforts and some of the, uh, this is definitely not the biggest or the most outlandish idea that we have, but one of them is taking one of our programs, which we promise students they have the option to complete asynchronously, that they don't actually have to meet in real time ever. But, and we're going to maintain that for financial aid, for legal reasons at this point, marketing reasons. But beyond that, requiring it of our faculty. So taking a program and saying, yes, in this program, every faculty member in every course will at least offer you one opportunity, if not multiple, to engage synchronously. There's never a course that goes by where they don't have a chance to meet their peers and their instructor. We think that will help with enrollment, with retention. We've always believed it, you know that, Brad, but to actually enforce something like that, this is the time when there's a sense of urgency where we would we would go for it. The more conversations I have with our, especially our adjunct faculty, I'm finding many of them already implementing that. Yeah. Finding it to be a wonderful experience, great way to connect with their students. So I am totally in favor of a requirement that that occur. Now, the flip side of that is in every course that I've taught where I do this, and I do that all the time, is there are students who, for example, for whatever reason, aren't available on Tuesday night at eight o'clock. Yeah. They can still do the written discussion. I'm also sensing there are some people who stay away because they don't want to be on the screen. They don't want to be in those conversations. Haven't been able to sort that out quite. But I'm wondering if we did this, if I were to say, for example, to my class, Tuesday night at eight o'clock, Saturday morning at 10, you pick. Mm -hmm. You have to do one of them. Actually requiring it of the students, you're saying? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm convinced that that is the future. Yeah. Well, it's examples like that. I think we are trying, we hope to pilot and to learn from. And I agree with you that 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 is the future. So are you using any new tools? Yes. And this is just what a neat opportunity. We didn't even realize I think we'd be doing this, but another shout out to Mike Jones. So our, uh, our producer for the podcast and life. (laughs) We now have Oculus Quest headsets. 
And we've been using them as a team, the three of us, to meet and discuss our work. We've been meeting in workrooms, and it's been fun. It's been fun to be kind of all on the same page, figuring things out or struggling together alongside each other. Like, why is there no audio? Or why does my hand look like it's behind my head instead of out in front of me? Why did I just run into my desk, my actual physical office? So it's been fun figuring out those nuances. And then just this last week, Mike and I met in the metaverse and that was neat to kind of be there. And while we were in the metaverse to envision what it would be like for students or how it could benefit our students to have learning experiences in VR. And I think the fun part of that was in terms of implementation, I remember the second week that we did it, none of us could get audio. <laughs> so we ended up logging on to Zoom, staying with our Oculus Quest headsets on and the audio coming through Zoom, even though we were in the same room together virtually in that other environment. <laughs> Those are the kind of things, and I talked to a group of faculty this week at Kansas State University about this, the idea that we need to know those backup plans. We need to have faculty skilled enough that they can kind of on the fly make adjustments Mm -hmm. or make corrections. That's going to be critical with any new digital tools that we use. And I might put a plug in for a little document that Tiffany and I wrote called least disrupted course design in online learning. So go to digital to learn and take a read of that. Yeah. I'll be sure to attach that to you when sharing this episode, that document that comes into place so much. We wrote it and loved it, put it out there, shared it with our colleagues, and then think about it a lot. And VR would be a great space to go I'm actually sharing it again this week with a group of faculty in Taiwan. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're getting some interest in that topic. Mm-hmm. I know one of the struggles in higher ed right now for those that are exploring VR, even at our own institution, is you see the potential, but just like you said, the technology, making sure that people are equipped, and then also the scalability. I feel grateful that we were able to feature the last couple episodes, Sophie Thompson, a virtual speech, because that's someone who has been in this space long before the pandemic. It wasn't emergency VR. It was very intentional, all that out. The support is there. And the purpose she, the company has looked into where VR works and that's soft skills training, especially. So it's nice to have folks like that. And if we can, you know, turn to them as much as possible as we look to the future of VR, I think that will be a wise effort. All right, Brad, you're the one who has challenged all of our guests, I feel like for the past year, to make predictions about the future of higher ed. So you've heard others' predictions. You do your own reading, research, presenting. You've had a lifetime of experience in education. What do you think about the future of higher ed? What predictions do you have? Well, I think there will continue to be a decline in the number of higher education institutions. I think there will continue to be mergers and closings. And I'm guessing that that reality is largely related to a lack of willingness to change. Mm -hmm. And those that survive, those that remain, will be the institutions that are agile and adaptable and perhaps even drag some of their own people kicking and screaming into the future. (laughs) 
because mm -hmm. we can't continue to do things the way we've done them. Indiana Wesleyan is a classic example of that. We started online learning in 1995, we're one of the early institutions, and rode a wave of incredible success for 20 years, mm -hmm. and enjoyed that and thought it was great. And I think there was a sense of surprise, like when that wasn't working as well as it used to, and that we needed to do some things differently. So that's why I'm so encouraged about your participation and description of the strategic planning process yeah. and an intentional discussion about what are we going to do differently? Mm -hmm. How are we going to get better? And unfortunately, I think there'll be some schools lost in that wake and we'll never survive. But that's how things go in virtually any industry. Yeah. Today, as a team, some of the administrators were giving examples in history and in industry of these critical points that you come to. 15 years from now, you want to be able to look back and see that you didn't just ride the wave, that you were being productive, that you were challenging yourself to new heights, that you were trying to innovate, that you were being agile and adaptive. And so, yeah, they were really challenging us and saying, what do you think was going through the minds of folks in history when they came to a point like this with their business or in their lives, when they were looking in the rearview mirror, you know, what do they wish they would have done differently? And so this is our time. This is our time to take ownership of our approach. Absolutely. So it's truly what we're trying to do. Absolutely right. Well, in speaking about the future of higher ed, there's also a future we believe to digital to learn to the podcast and to the other offerings that we have. We are going to continue the podcast. We just had a conversation about it this week. We do feel that digital to learn the podcast, it started out and you've heard us talk about this before if you're listening, but especially if you've listened from the beginning, it was um, an idea that was had before I even moved over to the teaching and learning space. But when I arrived, I think it was day two. <laughs> Brad, Mike said, do you want to co-host this thing? And I'm like, I don't, I hadn't heard a podcast, <laughs> but sure. Oh, and I remember being in the best way, criticized for being a little too stiff at the beginning, and, but man, we've come a long way and it's been our primary form of professional development, learning for ourselves and great for our colleagues and great for just connecting with the world of higher ed right now. Brad, where do you see the digital to learn efforts going next. I'm excited about something we're just thinking about, but I'll put it out there called <laughs> podcast pop-ups. Yep. And it has to do with the idea that all of us listen to podcasts. Typically we all listen to different podcasts and we can't really have conversations around them. I mean, I can tell you, Hey, here's what I heard today. And you're going to go, well, that's great, but you didn't <laughs> hear it. So how do we have this conversation? So podcast pop-ups will go like this. We're going to pick a couple of our guests that have a common theme to them, let people know which ones we picked, and then announce two or three dates in a given month where we'll be on Zoom to talk about those podcasts with anybody who wants to come and join us. So I think it takes podcasts to a different level of not only engaging with the content, but having conversations and building community around what's being discussed there. So that should be coming your way very soon. 
Yes. And I'm also excited. Similarly, we're going to have a webinar event or and I really do imagine it'll be discussion based, but along that same line, there's some guests who coming onto the podcast, they just didn't have enough time to really unpack their book or their thoughts or they gained so much traction, but there's more discussion to be had. So we're going to have a three-day event in June called Envision to Innovate. And we're going to bring back three guests from Digital to Learn. Each of them will give an hour-long webinar, and then we'll open it up, follow up the webinar with a one-hour discussion immediately following where we will facilitate discussion with those that were in attendance at the one-hour webinar. So it'll be something a little different. You'll see some marketing for that on LinkedIn and on our website and other places. We're just excited about these new opportunities. We'll continue to release white papers. Some publications will be coming your way and be represented at conferences and things like that. So if you see Digital to Learn, make sure that you plug in and let us know what you're thinking as much as possible. One final plug, if you're someone who wants to be on the podcast, has a friend that you want to nominate to be on the podcast, someone that has written a book that you'd like us to reach out to and invite to the podcast, or if you just have a comment, please feel free to engage with us. You can send me a message on LinkedIn. We have a digital to learn presence there. Shoot us an email, check out our website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week. I know this is enough probably of uh, Brad and Tiffany. So we'll have a guest back with us next week. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.